0: Good day my friends, this is Under Review and I'm Craig Shapiro. Incredible show for you today, we couldn't stay away. It's the U.S. Open and of course we're talking tennis. Today we have Nicolas Pereira, Venezuelan, who in 1988 was the number one junior in the world. He had wins as a pro over Edberg and Becker. He almost beat Lendl and he almost beat Andre. Now he sits courtside calling matches for ESPN Deportes, ESPN International. Uh, he's a great phone vivant. We're going to talk with Nico today about what he's seeing at the Open this year, what the day-to-day of being a broadcaster is like, and we'll talk about his amazing year. We caught up with Nico at the Palace Hotel in New York City. Nicholas, my man. It is a pleasure, as always, to uh, talk with you. Um, How has your tournament been so far?
1: It's been great, man. Last Grand Slam of the year. Uh, Happy to be here.
0: You know, I should tell everyone, um, similar to some of our other guests, uh, I met Nicholas back when we were, you know, 24 years old, when I was stringing the tennis rackets and nicholas is one of these guys that in spite of his ranking was one of these intensely dangerous players you know you'd look at the the results because you know obviously there was no tennis channel you look at the results and he might have beaten edberg or becker he'd be in the quarterfinals somewhere and then you know he was always a very widely respected dangerous dangerous player and uh He's one of these guys you see at every tournament. You see him at the courtside broadcasting for ESPN Desportes. He's got this unmistakable dimple in his chin. I think the ladies probably consider that one of his best things. (laughs) To keep things moving and hit a wide variety of issues and topics, we've been implementing a five-segment format we call the Best of Five. But it's the U.S. Open, and with so much going on, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, or really the elephant no longer in the room, Roger Federer. Now, Nicholas, what what are your sources telling you about Roger?
1: Well, I, I heard he's 37 years old, you know. I think Millman played the match of his life in the sense that he, he didn't miss, and he didn't falter, you know. His pulse was right there when he needed it, and and... All the credit to him, but I, I think Fed, particularly uh, from the physical point of view, was a bit of, uh, he had a bit of a stiff back, so he, he, he was not as flexible as I've seen him in the past. But all credit to Milman, man, it's, and at the end of the day, it's just a tennis match. We're just lucky to be able to, to seen Fed for such a long time. I just wondered how how he's going to end it. He's done everything so well that uh, now to write a final chapter to that book is, is not easy. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes.
0: Well, it's easier when you have a 10-year, $30 million uh, clothing contract. I, but I, I agree. I, I think that he's going to have a complicated walk into the sunset. I think it's going to be a complicated retirement. You know what does he do next? I mean, he—it he, seems like he can't win seven matches in two weeks anymore. Well,
1: uh, I learned a long time ago never to count him out. Uh, like when he was in that slump four or five years ago, he had the bad back. Remember, he couldn't even carry his kids. Um, and then he he came out and won and won three more slams. So so, uh, it's just we're just lucky to be watching this 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 phenomenon and not only him the other two two three guys as well and i just marvel at, at what they do it is just fantastic and we're very lucky to have a you know a front seat to to this era of tennis that's going to go it's going to go in history as as one of the greatest i mean it's just fantastic i enjoy it i'm privileged
0: yeah i mean it's been unbelievable Okay, listen, um, moving on, this is our first set. We call it the off-the-court report. Nicholas, uh, how, first of all, how many years have you been broadcasting now? It's, it's, gotta have been, a, it's been a minute, huh? Yes, man, it, time flies. I stopped playing in 97,
1: uh, US Open 97, so it's 21 years, huh? <laughs> and then um I went back to Venezuela, which was where I wanted to live and then in ninety eight you know the chavez thing happened so i i had to leave Venezuela right there and then I knew you know what was gonna what was gonna transpire there
0: would it be fair to say that you sort of fled that situation
1: yes i i saw that coming and 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 uh I want to know part of that. So, so I, I had one foot in Miami and one foot in Caracas anyhow. And then in Miami, they opened up a network. And to, to answer your question, I've been in broadcasting for 18 years, man.
0: You're probably one of the longest employees of ESPN with that kind of a track record, Nicholas. No,
1: actually, it's funny, man. It wasn't an ESPN. It, it, was, it was a network called PSN that they opened. And then they brought in a lot of ESPN people. And then I got into working there, and they broadcasted in Spanish and Portuguese, but they had no room in Spanish, so my first job in TV was in Portuguese.
0: Wow. I did not know that, man. So now, listen, what's it like? Uh, can you talk a little bit about your schedule, what you do?
1: Definitely. I um, Every Grand Slam is different, uh, and we adjust. This year being a World Cup year, budgets are cut, and everything is put into covering... Uh, the uh, soccer. So uh, I've been on court a couple of days. Like we open up the show and present what the schedule is, uh, what's going on around the courts. Like you say, there's a lot of matches going on.
0: Do you guys key on the the Spanish players? Is that, Would that be fair to say? Are you guys Delpo all day, every day? Is it just Delpo, Delpo?
1: No, no, uh, no. Not at all, man. It's, uh, Fed and Rafa uh, are huge in Latin America, but We do, since we have not done that well in terms of Grand Slam results in the last few years, as long as there is Latin players, we do try and cover them. Schwarzman, we did his match uh, uh, instead of the Sharapova match, to give you an example. So we covered Diego, who is number 13 in the world and is a fantastic human being, fantastic story, and we love the kid, and so there were a, a, a couple of people that were not happy that we weren't covering Maria, but uh, what well, we did the Diego match, and 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 yes, just to be, uh, just to give you an idea of how it works, there is like seven different ESPNs in Latin America. We are the main ones. We are the main the, the core channel and then there is by by uh, regions there is andes there is south that is uh, uruguay and argentina i'm not going to bore you with the details but sometimes we're showing two matches at the same time in latin america
0: and you just you, you just grind it out you take that bus out to flushing every day i mean how do you stay dry i mean how do you stay keep yourself looking good when you're out there man it is just it was just so hot
1: that's my that's my secret man I can't tell you that. You guys
0: you got what are you going to the meat cooler? You going to one of the refrigerators?
1: No man I'm good. I'm good like I'm a road warrior. You know my story man. I, I left home at 12 and traveled in Europe by myself at 14 so this is this is nothing man. I'm just happy to be front and center in this stuff and I I I love it and this is my family. I've grown up with these people since since I was 12, uh, 14, you know, at Bolitaris and whatnot. So so I, I, I get around, I have access to the, to you know, to, to keep fresh, and uh, they treat me well, man. These ESPN guys are fantastic. What
0: Nicholas is Order. telling you is that he has full access to all the facilities um, since he's been in this game for so long. Listen... What do you think of the new and improved U.S. Open? First of all, uh, let me just ask you: new grandstand.
1: Oh, the grandstand is fantastic. Uh, I love that court, you know. And, and last year's match, the Delpo beat, beat team there, and it's very open, so there's no shade for the players. So that that's another thing, you know. The, if you if you're a main guy and you play in the two. In the two main courts, you get the benefit of, of, of having a shade earlier, around 3, 3 p.m. So if you play on grandstand, you're going you're gonna to get cooked uh, up to like 6 or 7. So, so there's those little details, uh, but I love that court.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you and I are in line with that. Oh, th- what about the new Armstrong? well I have mixed
1: feelings about that one you know there was so much story there but it needed to be redone I think the USTA put a lot of money into it but at the same time they found a balance between you know having a a a great facility with a roof and building it relatively uh, fast and cost effective it's a cooler breezier stadium because it's been designed in a way that the air goes through it a lot and the fact that they allow people Without a, a paid ticket, just with a ground pass to sit uh, in this in in this beautiful new stadium, it's I think it's a great idea, and it gives it a special flavor. You know, the the, the people that that are there are grateful. These are people that might not be able to pay three, four, five hundred bucks to watch the marquee players, but. Um, I think they did the USDA did a great job with that so let's see you know they, they opened up and uh, the number one player in the world lost so uh, you know let, let, let's hope it, it it's like an old you know cooking pan you know it, it, years and of cooking and, and experience and, and and matches and memories it's what makes a court uh, uh,
0: memorable and um, any thoughts about ash how have you landed on ash?
1: I, I love it, man. Uh, you know, it's the biggest court in the world, and it has its particulars. But uh, I like it. You know, uh, they had issues at the beginning talking about the roof with the noise. It was crazy. Murray even, compl- uh, you know, he complained that uh, he couldn't hear the sound of the ball, and that's one of the, you know, main ingredients of of playing. You, you, the sound is a big part of it, as you, as you know. Um, but they have worked on it, they have improved, and, and it, they're rocking, man, I love it.
0: You know, all the courts, the whole atmosphere, I mean, they've really turned this into something bigger than anyone could have ever imagined, is that right?
1: Wow, man, you, you remember the years where, when it first started at flushing? It was homemade, you know, it, it had a different flavor to it. And at Court 18, you, you ended up stinking of hamburgers, you know, so uh, I think they've done a great job.
0: Um, A little too expensive, I think, um, that Ash Stadium in particular, but uh, I guess you got to pay if you want to play, huh?
1: Well, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. The, the ticket price is not only for tennis, man, for anything else. You try to go to a concert, you know, and it's just a bunch of zeros. I, I have three kids, and if I want to go watch a basketball game, you know, you, you really have to, to spend your dollars.
0: Listen, moving on, this is going to be our on-the-court report. This is our set number two. Let's start with the women. Uh, Nicholas, uh, obviously, Holop going out right out of the box, just started this thing off a little crazy, huh?
1: Totally. Simona, you know, uh, Simona has had a busy year. She's the leader in wins uh, on tour. She won Montreal, and then... uh, I think she was running on fumes, man. I talked to, to Darren asked him, you know, how, how was she doing, and, she's, and he said she's doing fine. So, so I think Simona went out uh, because, you know, she's been playing a lot and her style of game is, you know, it's based on, on, on physical effort but the, the the ladies tournament is it's fantastic serena's uh, serena's story is just fantastic i mean she's a badass man she she's just a uh, uh, credit to our sport you no know, like her like her or not but
0: listen listen by the way man unbelievable you know she played big time tennis uh, a couple nights ago and i thought it was the best she looked in quite some time, she played, like, really, really good tennis to win that, th- that three-setter. She played Kanepi, yeah. Exactly.
1: She played really good first set. Kanepi came back at her, and then she doubled down and, and, and pulled it off. I mean, it's it's, it's fantastic what she yeah. did. On, on, and then and then Sloane Stevens, I think she has a chance to be a long-lasting number one man. I think Kwame Murray has done a fantastic job. With her, and then I like Naomi Osaka, man. I think she's great. I love her, her, her smarts. She's, she's, she's fantastic. I I think she, she's gonna be some a force to be reckoned with in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's no easy matches once you get into this. Right, once you get into these quarters, man.
1: No, not only not only in the quarters. The ladies, as you know, since Serena was out. It's been a whirlwind, man. The last the last uh, champions have all been different. Five number ones last year. The Simona le- losing in the first round. There is, I mean, it's interesting.
0: And what's the matter with Muguruza? She just she just doesn't seem to, she's not improving, is she?
1: Well, the Muguruza turmoil is internal. It's, uh, she, I mean, she plays for Spain, but uh, let's not kid anybody here. She's Venezuelan, uh, the way she, she thinks and acts and... and, and and you know, I wish her well. She's, she's from my home city, and I, I, I want to see her succeed. I want to see her win. I'm happy when she wins. But she has some issues she has to solve, and, and that's life. Uh, she's good, you know I mean she's set she for life. She, she loves what she does. She has like 15 different sponsors, and, and she wants to win more titles, and I think she will. Uh, you know she's going through a bad patch right now, if you want to call it that, but she'll be back.
0: Moving on to the men, uh, Nicholas, you know, Delpo is looking really, really good. Um, what can you tell me about him and his resurgence?
1: Well, that's that's a story, man. I'm telling you, uh, four surgeries in, in the two different hands. And I've been very close to him. The year he won the Open, I took him out to dinner to, to celebrate because his coach was Franco Davin, as you know, he's... He's an old friend, born in the same year as me and, and all the boys. So we go back a long way. And, and Delpo is, is just a character. You know, he's from a small town in Argentina that has produced six or seven champions, including Savaleta, Guillermo, Perez, Roldan, Patricia Taravini. You know, they, they, it's, it's it's just incredible. And and he's a very very humble humble giant man. I love the guy. I love the kid. And and. Um, I've been you know, watching it very closely because it pertains our, our broadcast. So I, I, I know the whole story. I'm very happy to see him, and you're right. He's playing fantastic tennis, serving well. His fitness is fantastic. For a 6'7 guy, the way he moves is, is great. He has improved as a person as well. He has grown at 29. He's more affable. He talks more to people, but he's also very shrewd. You know, he, he um, surrounds himself with with good people of course he's made mistakes like all of us but I think he's learned from them and he's in the up and up number three in the world he doesn't have a chance to move either up or down uh, in the rankings uh, this week but uh, I I like it and it's a very very interesting story you know with a slice backhand addition to his game he's not afraid to go up to the net I mean and, and Delpo uh, he, he missed 14 grand slams he has 15 Grand Slam quarterfinals, one Grand Slam title. That That's a career that I, I think could have a couple more notches on the belt. He, he could have won a little more, but I think there's more in store for him, and I'm, I'm very happy to be covering it.
0: Um, did, were there any other interesting observations you had these last two weeks? Uh, it, I mean, there were 10, 10 retirements, I think, on the men's side, either 9 or 10. Um just abusively hot, wasn't it?
1: There were only 10 retirements because I think the improved rule of the lucky loser is in effect where p- if a player is hurt, he gets half the prize money and gives the chance to, to somebody that lost in the last round of qualies to enter the main draw. I think it was really, really hot, but uh, these guys are getting paid well, man. So so let them toast there for a while. It's been hot always, and, and uh, we need to move on from there. Weather talk. There is a lot more interesting things to talk about. I think. Uh, fine, uh, fine.
0: I, you know, I'm sick of talking about the freaking weather too, man. I, I had enough of the weather. It's always hot. You're right.
1: We're on the last quarter of the year, and and the guys have been grinding hard. It, the, the 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 schedule is busy, and uh, you know. It's a U.S. Open. Then.
0: When you look at it, these Grand Slams are the truth. The cream rises to the top. With the exception of Millman, who's a fit number 58, who rose to the occasion, the guys who've been playing the best tennis and don't lose a lot of matches in general are right there. You know, you're talking about Rafa, Delpo, Silich, Joker, Nishikori. Isner's had an unbelievable year for 33 year old kid. And uh, Dominic team is a beast.
1: Totally. no. You, you got Milman that squeezed in there rightfully. He, he did it the right way. No excuses. And then you got all the boys. I mean, you got Chilicha against Nishikori, which is a rematch of the 14 finals. And you have the classic, the last American against the last Latin American, you know, uh, Isner and Delpo playing. And Rafa and did the, the, the French Open finals, you know, the, that court is not... Long enough for them. They played stuck to the backboard, uh, and and it's just great. And then you have Djokovic's story, which is another unbelievable story. After the two years slump, you know he's back with a vengeance. So so it's great.
0: Moving on to our third set, Nicholas. You know I want to talk about your '88 Junior World Champion year, but what what I, I guess I don't know the story that you. I know that you were born in Uruguay. Is that true? Correcto. What's the story with that?
1: Well, my parents uh, were, um, (laughs) as as luck will have it, they were moving away from a military dictatorship in Uruguay that was really rough. Uh, That, you know, basically, if you were against them, they would torture your kids to get information on the, you know, opposition, if you want to call it that. So they left when I was three and my sister was 11 months old, settled in Venezuela, which at the time was... You know, a very good country to live in. It was fantastic. Venezuela gave us a home, and that's the country I represented throughout my, my tennis career. And I started traveling when I was eight, playing tournaments. I played tennis because both of my parents did in, uh, in, a, in a club over there and started playing with a badminton racket, and that's how it all started. Uh,
0: 1988, you won the French, you won Wimbledon. You won US Open. Did you play Australia? What happened in Australia?
1: Well, there was a tournament in Venezuela that gave the same points as Australia. And at the time, if you remember, 88, Australia was not the highest uh, regarded uh, tournament uh, with all due respect, now it's now is a monster. But the, I had a tournament in Venezuela that gave the same points. My federation was paying for part of my travel, so I had to play my national tournament. I ended up winning that one, and that's how I came to get a scholarship to go and train with Colón Núñez and Andrés Gómez, which was the, how we met. Uh, and then uh, I practiced with Andrés, and he he was top 10 at the time, and that's what made me have the big jump. you know. And then I was playing with a top 10 guy every day, and when I went and played with the juniors, it was like playing with kids. So um, I kind of cheated there a little bit.
0: You got really, oh, I didn't realize that. So you started practicing with Andres Gomez right, in the, right when he was in the pocket of his best years. And you just got really, really good, huh?
1: That helped a lot, I have to admit. Yes, sir.
0: So at the French, I see that you beat Magnus Larsson in a tight first set. And then you, it looks like maybe one break in the second. Did you beat anyone else interesting uh, in in Paris?
1: What are you talking about? They're all interesting, man. I think it was Goran in the in the semis, uh, and then my chip is full, man. I, I have to say, uh, I don't remember much.
0: <laughs> um, and then you went to Wimbledon. Um, you know, I couldn't actually find the result. Believe it or not, who did you, you remember if you beat anyone good there?
1: Yeah, Wimbledon was interesting um, because we had Stoltenberg.
0: Jason oh. Jason Stoltenberg, an Australian stalwart, had a very very good career.
1: Yeah, he was a great player. I love Jason. Uh, the finals uh, was against Guillaume Raoult, a tough tough Frenchman that uh, that was was very good. He was very strong. Uh, we had Cherkasov as well. That was that was a, a rough one.
0: You beat Andre uh, Cherkasov, or uh, the Russian.
1: And uh, I believe, I believe there was a South African, there, David nankin maybe that that he's he plays. He he works for the USDA now. He was he was a top junior top junior guy. And then
0: he got to the Open, and I see that you beat Nicholas Colty. Um, did you have, did you did you did you did you check in any other strong wins well uh,
1: it was Todd Martin uh, at that time uh, Stevie Bryant I believe I played as well Uh, but that's as far as I go I don't I don't remember
0: so I mean when you finished that year in 88 I mean what kind of pressure was on you and how did that affect you um, when you did turn pro do you feel like you might have maybe Turn pro a little too early or, you know, like what what happens to you next there?
1: Well, in Latin America, it's not like here. You know, I've been playing professional since I was 15, 16, playing satellites and playing challengers. That year, 88, I remember I I, um, I beat, I, I had played Pete in a, in a challenger and, and beaten him. I played uh, Brad Gilbert at the end of the year in uh, South Africa, and, uh, and beat him. I uh, beat Amos Mansdorf in the, in the tournament in South Africa as well, in the next tournament in South Africa.
0: Amos so, Mansdorf, the Israeli, another guy who had a long, very good career. So, so, so I
1: finished the year ranked in the top 150 as a professional in 88. Then, then came the problems in Venezuela. They wanted me to play a local tournament, and I needed some time off. Uh, I didn't play the tournament, so they took my South African trip which was um, they gave me some wild courage to play some tournaments there and I was doing the apartheid years. I, 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 you know I wasn't uh, any, uh, to make any political statements or anything and maybe you know thinking about it I might have gone different about it now, but I did go and um, and then uh, they, They took revenge on me because they were paying for some of my expenses, and I didn't play an exhibition tournament that they had over Christmas. I wanted some time off to go and train in January, go to Australia and whatnot. So they banned me from playing Davis Cup. So my thought process was, okay, these guys, if, if, if being successful is going to bring these problems to me and my family, then maybe it's not worth it, you know, to... To do that, so then I went to to practice in January with with that grief in my heart, and and uh, that's where I got hurt. I was practicing one day with Andres, and I hit a backhand volley late, and I felt a pinch in my shoulder, and um, I didn't know it at the time. But two three years down the road, um, one of the trainers and the ATP say, "Hey, listen, you have a hole here, or, you know, over over your." Uh, in, in your shoulder and and i lost uh, you know i had a pinched nerve and the 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 tyrus minor atrophied it's a long long story which ended up being the cause of of my retirement uh in in 97 uh, not not i was not yet 27 years old so
0: did you have did you have one year of of being healthy on the pro tour uh,
1: yes well uh, what can i say 88 probably because early 89. I had that that, that shoulder issue. Uh, you
0: played injured throughout the career. You were you were you were marred by injuries. What?
1: Without knowing it, without knowing it, the thing was that with this condition, I would play the first round full force or 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 well, if you want to say, and then as the tournament went on, my my power, my strength was obviously my serve. Uh, my power started diminishing as the rounds went on. So I guess you could say that I was affected by that, but with, without knowing it. I didn't realize it too, too much later.
0: What is your greatest moment uh, in pro tennis? I
1: have to say that there was not one. Like if I, if I would have won Wimbledon or, or something, uh, that would be it. So I, I, I cannot say one. Uh, in beating Booster in Miami was a big one because it was in front of my people and he was number one that week. Beating Becker, who is a personal, you know, he was a personal idol for me, it was fantastic. Uh, uh, there were a few, man, there were a few. Winning Wimbledon Juniors was, was truly great for me. I mean, winning my, my first title in Bogota was, was great, and, and, and then the title in Newport also was special. I loved playing Davis Cup for Venezuela. I love the experience, so what is happening now in Davis Cup kind of, you know, stirs feelings up. That is a shitstorm right there, Craigie. I mean, it, it, what's going on in the tennis world, the turmoil that's been going on in the players' lounge this year at the Open, it's just gigantic. You cannot imagine between the ATP, the ITF, the Grand Slams. Australia is the odd man out. The other three Grand Slams are not happy with Australia because it signed a deal to do the ATP's the, the uh, version of the, of the Davis Cup. Then there is this big, big group that came in Offered to give a chunk of money to the ITF, they said no. Then they turned their backs and went to the ATP, and the players, uh, by voting ten to zero, said no. And then they went back to the ITF, and finally Haggerty uh, said yes. And they needed seventy percent to change it. And they flew people in. The details, you know, are are unbelievable if you if you hear them. and then they got the 71% so they changed it and that
0: was right a group there. and that was a group led by Gerard PK the the footballer correct the soccer player
1: yes he comes from from a very wealthy family in in Catalonia and uh, it's a group, uh, I believe some, you know, Chinese and Japanese are, are, are involved in it. And uh, now for 2019, we're going to have a new format for Davis Cup in November. But I don't believe they're going to have the players. So now they're looking for 2020 to change the date, maybe. And then they're, they're negotiating with Labor Cup that has the perfect date right after the U.S. Open. So there is a lot, a lot. Of uh, of uh, <laughs> discussions going on and and it's we'll see where this lands. I just you know I'm an outsider in in that case. So well, you're
0: an educated. Uh, I, don't call yourself an outsider. You're an educated observer and very close to the situation. You, you play Davis Cup, man. You live in this game. Don't say you're an uh, outsider. You're just
1: no no in the, no in the sense that I have no personal interest in the matter. My personal interest is that they don't hurt the game of tennis. That's about it. Uh,
0: Moving on to our fourth set, we call this the 10-ball scramble. Um, Sometimes I, sometimes we've been doing like very serious topics, Um, and other times we we're gonna try to do some little bit more fun. So I'm just gonna say something. We're not gonna do a deep dive, okay? Best city, Rio de Janeiro. Best tournament, Wimbledon. Favorite court. Center court. Center court where? Wimbledon. Favorite grounds. Paris. Best nightlife. Whoa. That,
1: that's a rough one. Uh, <laughs> I would go with Paris.
0: Best amenities. The best the best tricked out tournament. The best amenities for the players or for, for anybody really.
1: Oh, you gotta go Aussie open on that one.
0: Best food. Paris. Venezuela, what do you say about Venezuela?
1: It's the biggest heartache in my life. Why? I grieve every day for what's happening there. It changed the course of my life, that's where I wanted to live, and I was forced to move out. My parents were forced for a second time in their life to move out, it's, it's hard being an immigrant, imagine being an immigrant twice. It's, it's, it, it's the biggest sadness in my life what happened there.
0: Can you just explain for our listeners um, just very briefly what the situation is for those that don't know? Well, in
1: 1998, this guy came along and basically he sold the country out to the Cubans that were looking for a source of income after the, you know, the perestroika. And they took Venezuela and they basically sucked it dry uh, and they continued to do it for the past 20 years. And, Uh, When they were done with Chavez, they put in this puppet that uh, was, you know, brought up in Cuba, uh, born in Colombia, president of Venezuela, and he basically, uh, you know, keeps giving the country away to them and starving the people inside, and there's, it's just oppression they bought all the, the media outlets so the world doesn't know really what's going on there and it's just sad man it, they killed a country of 30 million people 6 million have uh, left uh, it's just it's, it's a holocaust man
0: yeah I think we're going to just stop right there because that is um, those are a lot of interesting things people need to think about and learn about our freedom isn't uh, guaranteed is it
1: well we take it for granted man but when you've been around the world and you've seen different situations and you have a wider scope on, on things, uh, sometimes you're guilty of, of, of overthinking it. Uh, it's simple. We are lucky and we should, uh, we should uh, cherish it and, and make the most of it.
0: OK, moving on, this is our last set. This is our last moment. We call this the king of the court, OK? Um, it's basically, if you were the king, what would you do? How would you change it? What, what would, how would you make something better? I was just looking at the rankings uh, in the WTA rankings. And, you know, with the exception of Monica Puig, who's Puerto Rican, um, there is not a Latin American or South American female in the top 200, man. You know, there's not been another Gabriela Sabatini. Uh, you, you mentioned per- Patricia Tarabini. Can you talk about that? Is it cultural? Is it, uh, is it what's the situation there? That you know, like a big big chunk of the tennis loving world doesn't have any significant female uh, highly ranked players.
1: Yeah, that is, that is an, an issue. That is a topic, and <laughs> believe me, we've noticed uh, we've noticed it. Uh, I think it has to do with cultural issues. You see all these girls coming out of the Eastern European countries and all the Ovas last names in in the tournament and it's really really impressive and I think it is uh it is a matter of necessity for for a lot of them. And then uh, it's tradition, you know, they have the Martinez uh, over the years and and in the US they've had their big icons and uh, that they have a lot of of uh, a big driving force behind it in terms of the countries that have the Grand Slam, they can promote, they can, uh, they can pour money into the, uh, the ladies, uh, you know, a lot more. And I, I believe in Latin America, it's, it's a mixture of, of, of the culture and, and of the times. Uh, I think it's really tough in Latin America uh, between you know the, the end of the junior career it's very costly to to pay for for the beginning of a professional career unless you already have some contracts or are making money on the court so i believe it's a mixture of that
0: um is there anything that you would do if you were the king to uh to try to adjust that
1: I would uh, I would magically, you know, bring up tennis tournaments or put tennis tournaments in in Latin America. They've been trying to do it in Colombia. They've had success with a couple of players uh, over there. but what what really needs to be done, it's uh, for you know private companies to sponsor tournaments to promote the game, and that's, I think the only way to to get it going. If a little girl watches uh, a role model on the court and uh, and wants to, to go for it, I think that's the only way to promote the sport.
0: Nicholas Pereira, uh, the pleasure was ours. Uh, Have a terrific rest of your tournament. Have a great uh, off-season if there's such a thing. There really isn't, I guess. But uh, thank you very much and you are released. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Great. The pressure was mine, man. Best of luck and don't be a stranger.
0: Big thank you to Nicholas Pereira. Our producer is Scott Tuft. And our music was by Brian Senti. The masterful Matt Degnan did our mix. I want to thank everyone for listening. We'll be back soon with lots more tennis talk with the most interesting people in the sport. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us and tell your friends. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.